Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1893. Today we're going to be talking about Jaguar. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in Seven Oaks, Kent, in the UK, across the pond, as I like to say, with a very special guest by the name of Giles Chapman. Chapman, now I think there's a British guy that had something to do with cars. Uh, We'll talk about him maybe today. Giles, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Uh, my foot is poised. I'm all ready. All right, ready to go. Now, before I give you a proper introduction and we dive into uh, another wonderful book that you've created for us automotive fans about one of my favorite marks, Jaguar. I love it the way you guys say it over there. I try to say it as best I can, Jaguar, but <laughs> I'd love for you to share one little thing that most people don't know about you, Giles. Uh, yeah, well, I will. Um, I mean, I'm afraid I have a criminal past. Uh-oh, and, here we uh, go. Uh, one day I was uh, in Piccadilly Circus in the middle of London, driving towards Buckingham Palace, and I put the foot down on the car I was driving, and before I know it, I was uh, doing double the speed limit Uh-oh. of 60 miles an hour. Yikes. Uh, well, the, the speed limit is 30. I oh, was doing oh I was going to say you're going 120? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as I approached the Queen's residence, uh, I, I, I heard the, the awful sound of the siren, and there's a blue light in the rear mirror, mm-hmm. so I'm pulled over. And uh, have to step out of the car, and they give me the they give me the full going over and everything. And amazingly, uh, because there's no alcohol in evidence, and I, I seem to be a, a, a seemly individual, um, they let me off. <laughs> wow, lucky! And uh, so the the guy said, uh, "We're not going to do this again, sir, are we?" And I sort of shrank to about two inches tall and said, "Absolutely not, officer." And then he followed me home for the next five miles. <laughs> I hate it when uh, they do that with with me doing twenty nine miles an hour the whole way and. The thing is, I was driving something called a Honda Legend, yep. and that might have been my get-out-of-jail-free car because, I mean, it's hardly a performance car, but I was so lucky that day. You know, yeah, you were. I have dodged a couple of those bullets myself. You know, we had a Honda Legend years ago. Uh, my wife and I, we were somewhat, well, we, we weren't newly married, but we were young, and uh, we bought a, we were going to buy, remember the Acura Vigor? that they had. It had a five-cylinder engine. It was kind of an oddity. And the salesman knew what he had. He said, well, Mr. Green, uh, your wife seems to love the Vigor, but just for fun, how about if she drive the Legend? And I said, okay. (laughs) Well, guess which one we ended up buying? The more expensive (laughs) Legend. I tell you, though, it was an awesome car. It it, it lasted us many, many years, uh, served us very well, protected us. We we had our first child uh, with that car, then our second child. Very safe driving that car. It It was a very nice car. Yeah, quite underrated. I mean, it's as, it's as smooth as a, a Lexus and a little bit more kind of special feeling. I mean, for what I remember, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, all I remember really is my teeth chattering and uh, my <laughs> the blue light in the rear view mirror. The day. <laughs> uh, but I seem to remember the car was, was quite nice, actually. So, yeah. uh, but I, mean, I only had it for a week, so it went back to Honda afterwards. Um, oh, OK. So, uh, OK. A loner. Indeed, yeah, yeah. I was working on Autocar at the time, so we uh-huh. had a nice pool of stuff every night to pick from. Obviously, the person who went first home first would get the any two seaters 
uh, if you're staying late, it'd be something with a diesel engine. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll bet if you've been driving uh, the other loaners, the Lamborghini, the Porsche, something else, uh, they probably would not have let you walk away. So you, you picked the exactly. right car. Yeah, exactly. So there's karma there. Isn't there? I think so. Something like that. Let me give you a proper introduction. We're going to dive into what you're doing these days. Giles Chapman writes and talks about the motor car, its industry, its history, and of course, its culture. He's the author of 55 books on a huge spectrum of car-related subjects, including, I love this one, My Dad Had One of Those. How many times have I heard that? It sold over almost 200,000 copies. Chapman's Car Compendium, Britain's Toy Car Wars, Dinky versus Corgi versus Matchbox. Ah, got a lot of those. And Gentleman Heroes. Uh, the First Blower Bentley and The Men Who Made It Happen. And his latest book we're going to talk about today is titled The Jaguar Century, 100 Years of Automotive Excellence. He was editor-in-chief for DK of the Car Book, the Classic Car Book, and Drive, the Definitive History of Motoring, acclaimed reference books that have all been published in multiple languages, editions worldwide. Early on in his career, he edited Classic and Sports Car, the world's best-selling classic car magazine. I was a subscriber for many years and has contributed to countless other publications. He founded the Royal Automobile Club Motoring Book of the Year Awards, and indeed, his own work has received several awards and nominations, including most recently the 2018 Pemberton Trophy for the Guild of Motoring Riders. Congratulations. We'll be back in just a minute to talk with Giles, but first a word from our valued sponsor. So give him a listen, give him a little love, keep your seatbelts on, watch out for that guy in the back mirror uh, with the blue light, keep the speed down. We'll be right back. Did you know the most damaging thing to your vehicle's interior is the sun? Harsh UV rays damage your interior over time, cracking the dash, fading colors, and the heat makes getting into your favorite ride downright unbearable. My friends at Covercraft have the perfect solution for you and me. Their quality-made sunscreens are easy to use, take seconds to install and to remove, and they protect your vehicles while parked in the sun if using a cover isn't a good option. I have one for every one of my cars. They come in a variety of colors and options, and their accordion design makes unfolding and folding them up for storage as cool as the summer breeze. Your sunscreen comes custom-tailored for your special vehicles and manufactured with the quality and attention to detail that's been the standard for Covercraft since 1965. Here at Cars Yeah, I've got a savings just for you. Use the code YEAH21, that's Y-E-A-H, at Covercraft.com and they'll give you 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Simply use the code yeah 21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. I was tired of my rates for my collector car insurance going up every year for no explainable reason. My carrier seemed to be turning into a media company versus an insurance company. And I realized that a portion of my policy premium was paying for all those so-called free media goodies. So I did my homework. I talked to knowledgeable collectors, shopped around, and discovered American Collectors Insurance. They've been serving the collector car hobby since 1976. You last that long by properly serving your customers' insurance need, not with a lot of fluff. ACI is ranked the number one 
online collector car insurance provider, according to Google, Trustpilot, Facebook, and they offer their real person guarantee live support. No never-ending phone loops when you need help. Plus, because you don't use your classic car as a daily driver, you could save up to 40% compared to regular auto insurance. American Collectors Insurance provides agreed value policies. So if you experience a total loss to your collector vehicle or it's stolen, you'll be paid the amount listed on your declaration page, less any deductibles, of course. No ifs, ands, or buts. Give them a call today and ask for your free quote at 866-A-C-I-Y-E-A-H. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Greens, at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. So, Giles, we're back. I want to dive a little deeper into the corner. First, talk a little bit with us about your history. I mean, your whole life has been around cars. You've written 55 books, holy cow, uh, and a lot more. And then once you kind of give us a little background, we're going to dive into the Jaguar Century because the Jaguar is the car that kind of started it for me along with an MGTC, my dad, because my dad and my regular listeners Uh have heard this. He bought me my first matchbox when I was about five. And guess what? It was a little red Jaguar XKE Coupe. So uh, still sits on my desk here today. So uh, take us on a deep dive, would you? Well, I mean, I uh, was the, uh, the the rather a, a solitary kid because uh, I used to spend most of my weekends cycling around our local area, looking at cars, going into car showrooms. Just I, I was just obsessed with cars as a kid. Mm-hmm. I, I can't really explain it. I'm not really that sporty, and I just used to consume car media and car stuff wherever I went. And um, uh, I was quite an average uh, school kid. Uh, one day I saw an advert in the back of one of these car magazines. I was reading in a chemistry lesson uh, saying uh, this guy wanted a office junior to come and work for a car consultancy in London. So I lived about 160 miles away, east coast of the UK. And I wrote off for it without telling my parents. Uh, he, they wrote back, said, come and have an interview. So before I knew it, I'd got the job. Wow. And um, really, they, they I mean... I was a glorified fetcher of morning tea for everybody, <laughs> but they called me the archivist. So I had to kind of run the reference library for this place. Yeah. Uh, but I was going to the post office and running errands and things like that. But it, w- we had lots of interesting clients in the car world. And um, so I, that's how I got into it, really. And I used to write little articles in the evening to supplement my very meager earnings. Mm-hmm. And uh, Having done a few of these, sent them into magazines on spec, you know, just just the old fashioned way on bits of paper, and one or two got used. Nice. And then one, then Classic and Sports Car actually offered me a job. Uh, they they needed a, a young a young office junior. I think I was the first person they'd taken on who wasn't one of the magazine's founders. You know, oh, really? it got bigger and bigger. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, that's cool. So you know, to, you you need to have obsessives in jobs like that. I mean, I. I was an obsessive. They recognized it. And, you know, then they, they gave me a bit of an apprenticeship in putting car car magazines together. So that's how I got into it. So I, I, I worked in car magazines for about 10 years, uh, became the editor of uh, Classic and Sports Car, which was fantastic. And then I, I've been I've been freelance since 94. Uh, and in that time, you know, that's just the the beginning of the internet age, really. I worked for a lot of the big newspapers in London when they were, you know, enormous at the weekend. Uh, you know, 15 different sections. None of them could get enough car articles from all us car journalists in the UK. So it was a it was a boom time, really. And then uh, in the 
in in the new century, I, I started to get into book writing and things. Journalism fell away as the internet grew and newspapers were smaller. And um, so I find myself now in this funny position of I am 55 and I've written 55 books. <laughs> wow, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, but I also, work, I also get to work on quite a lot of others as well. So I, do, I sort of do picture research for certain people and for other kind of books. I might be working with an author who's having a bit of trouble. So I'm a um, you know, a script doctor sometimes, or um, an editor of something. And I, you know, I just seem to have found myself by default in this world of car books where I never, I never particularly um, aimed for, but, you know, obviously I'm very glad to have it well, as, well, yeah. uh, you know, freelance journalism is, is, is very tough. Oh, gosh. And, um, <laughs> you know, so I'm involved in books in all sorts of different ways. And, and I, I, um, having written quite a few myself, I sort of come up with concepts, which I, I'm going to enjoy doing, and they're the ones that I hope to get off the ground with people. And other times, you know, I might get asked to actually write a book on a specific subject because I've, you know, got a lot of the right skills and I suppose I'm quite uh, concise where I need to be. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's where I am, really. And, and in fact, funnily enough, I'm probably a, a friend of mine here is a guy called Graham Robson. He very sadly passed away last week. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. Well, it's okay. But, I mean, he's, he's quite an old guy, but he's, he's supposed to be the the author with the most car books ever written. I think he'd done 175. Oh, my word. Wow. So he, he's pretty high up. And then your, your very own Floyd Clymer, I think, yes. you know, in years by he is probably a guy with dozens and dozens of uh, titles to his name. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've had, I've had hundreds and hundreds of authors and journalists on this show, probably the biggest category of all the different kinds of guests I've had. And I love books. I have quite an extensive library. And now with what I've been doing, the, uh, uh, the kind public always send me a copy that I can check out and review and, and enjoy. So it's growing. I always say that, you know, in my old age, when uh, I don't want to do this anymore, perhaps I can sit back in my nice chair and all these wonderful books, sit and go through them again and enjoy them and, and learn a lot more than I know now. And let's let's go into this most current book because Jaguar, you think back to when I hear the word, I think XKE. I mean, it's just so marvelous. Well, but there's so much more than that to the whole history of Jaguar. 100 years of automotive excellence. It's absolutely incredible. And they went through their, their big heyday, and then they went through some trying times, of course. And here we are today. You have the E-Pace and Jaguar making electric vehicles, and they're still here, and people are enjoying them. So talk more about why you chose this book, what it meant for you, and our good friends at Quarto, Steve Roth, who put us together today. He's brought so many yeah. great guests. Want to do a shout-out. Thank you to him. They publish some wonderful books. The Jaguar Century. Tell us all about it. Well, they came to me on this one, and in fact, slightly caught me napping because I, I'm quite, I'm quite kind of hot on anniversaries and you know when things are 10, 25, 50 years old and so on. But I hadn't quite realised myself that the, the whole story of Jaguar is now a you know a century long saga, and uh, I think at the factory they regard they regard the start of Jaguar as 1935 because that's when the name very first appeared on a car. So it's you know, in, in the official uh, lexicon that comes out of Coventry, it's uh, it's only eighty seven years old. <laughs> but uh, what what we what we've tried to do is do a whole story from when the guy who founded Jaguar first went into business to now, and obviously that is a a tremendous span that goes really from his first days as making sidecars to go on the side of motorbikes 
to the company that it is now, as you, as you rightly say, making electric cars and so on. So they really just said, it, it, there's 100 years, what would you like to do? And uh, I, I decided that I was going to um, produce a book where where you kind of even out the the history across the whole hundred years. In other words, as you rightly say, Mark, everyone thinks of the XKE or the XK120, maybe the XJ6, but those cars are 50 years ago. I know. And if, yeah. you, if you own a Jaguar now, you know, something recent, these are your good times. And you don't want to be just at the end of the book dismissed by the author, kind of going, oh, and there's all this modern stuff and they're all SUVs and horrible and so on and so on. So the challenge was to try and do a book where you would you would have a pace all the way through and you wouldn't, in that way that some uh, some people can have, you know, you wouldn't dismiss the things that perhaps are, are not the, the high points, if mm. that makes sense, because oh, yeah. even a car like the X-Type, I, I, know, I know a lot of people loathe that car, mm. but on its own, it's actually a very good little car. And, you know, if you've got one, you you rightly feel proud of it. It's got a lovely interior. It's, it's a very responsive engine. The four-wheel drive ones have got amazing road holding. You know, it's part of the whole Jaguar Canon. And when you look at the early stuff, that's actually very difficult to relate to now. So if you've got a, um, you know, you drive a, a, an I-Pace or something now, and maybe you live in Beijing, how are you going to relate to the fact that they started in such a humble way? Because they they were literally two guys in a garden shed in Blackpool, which is a very windy and um, remote town on the west coast of the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were just two likely lads who, wow. who thought... You know, let's let's just jump onto the latest bandwagon. And the reason they did it was because if you had a girlfriend in the 1920s, she'd be very, very unlikely to want to go out with you if you made her go on the back of your motorbike. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So they created this little sidecar that not only was comfortable and snug, but was quite cool looking, you know, sort of torpedo shaped and a a lovely wheel disc on it. And um, they they would he was the guy who founded the company, William Lyons. He was absolutely amazing at knowing what people wanted and then being able to build it within the capabilities of what he was doing. Yeah. You know, these are things that I didn't know either about the beginnings, because like you said, I always carry it a little bit further forward, but in learning about what he was doing, and I always kind of chuckle at William Lyons started a company called Jaguar. It's like, why didn't he call it Lion? You know, I mean, I don't know, maybe a Jaguar kind of sounds cooler than lion. You know, lions kind of lay around most of the day and then wait for the females yes. to go hunt and then they eat whatever's left over. Uh, Jaguar's <laughs> a little more uh, stealthy and it's cool, but I'm glad they, they chose Jaguar. So let me ask you this. When you think about putting, the, and we don't want to give away all the secrets because I want people to go buy this book because it's absolutely fantastic. As you go through or as you went through the history here, uh, what are one or two things that really surprised you? Well, the the thing that amazes me most is that Jaguar is still with us because uh, it has yeah. been through some of the most terrible low points in its in its history. You know, effectively in 1968, it was nationalised and became you know government owned in the UK and got really dragged down to a terrible state in the in the 1970s. I mean, the cars were leaving the factory with rust on them. You could only have three colours. They couldn't get any metallic paints right. The doors didn't fit. You know, and this 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 is the British answer to BMW. We're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a testament to what happens when government steps in. It's best to leave private sector to create things. I think. Well, indeed, but you know, I mean, I I think had they not done it, would have 
vanished anyway. Man. So, so it was it was a very difficult time. And Jaguar has been one of those companies that has had to be rescued by very determined characters over the years. And uh, you know, w- William Lyons was a was incredibly shrewd. He was probably a bit underfinanced. He wanted to he wanted to keep control of everything, and so he had his own way of very carefully running through uh, life, keeping his business going. I mean, he didn't really get involved in you know takeovers and things like that the only companies he took over were things like daimler to get hold of their factory because he was expanding mm. he didn't really want to uh have a huge um you know multi-mark group really right. and he he was forced into it in the end and you know i i think in a very harsh economic times his very autocratic way of doing things was a sort of came undone a little bit so it's it's the fact it's been rescued and been put back on the road about three or four times that for me made it fun to write about and you know i would i would find it a lot harder to write about porsche or ferrari where everything's brilliant and fantastic and wonderful and every accolade builds on the last one you know that isn't the case with jaguar a lot of things have sort of gone wrong for them so that's that (laughs) yeah no you know it's really true and you think back to 70s and 80s and even 90s jaguar was one of those cars that you just wanted to love so bad but they were so bad. And so, you know, and I remember I worked with a gentleman for years, a lot of 11 years out of college, and he really wanted to buy his wife a Jaguar and, you know, a sedan. That was kind of like her dream. And I knew some things about cars. And I said, just be careful. These things are challenging. And uh, he bought her one. It was a beautiful ice blue sedan. It was just a beautiful car. And I think she had it for about four months and just went, this is ridiculous. Like, I can't even drive to the grocery store and, and feel safe that I'm going to be able come home and they let it go and guess what he bought bmw so uh you know that was the next car for her but it really is amazing and uh, again learning about the early early history william lyons and what he did and how the car evolved but i think what for me with jaguar is the mystique has always somewhat endured and even with modern cars today that name is just something yeah. that just kind of goes hmm i maybe i should look into this you know even if i'm looking for a boring old suv maybe having a jaguar on the back of it might make it a little extra special well you know if you're going to be stuck in a modern car all day i i agree with you you want to have some an environment that's going to uh not just flatter you but excite you and and that, that it's going to have a little bit of an x factor uh, i mean i think that x factor in the jaguar history probably came in 1948 when they they first designed their own engine that was their that was their big kind of starting point in becoming a classic make because within three years with that engine they'd, they'd won the le mans 24 hours race it was incredible what oh, they yeah. did and lions you know he was he let he was very good at appointing the right people and then letting them get on with it. So he appointed some great engineers who probably felt very frustrated in other companies where they had a conservative management who wouldn't let them do anything exciting. He wanted to produce an engine that not only was going to be, you know, the world's first mass-produced twin-cam, you know, performance engine, but was also going to, um, you know, lift Lift, lift everything they did. You know, he, he, he said, let's do this engine, but let, let's make let make sure, for example, that all the race cars were prepared by the same engineers who designed the running gear for the road cars so that all the experience of that was fed back, back into everything they did. You know, he's like a dad. He was, he was <laughs> urging everyone not to throw things away and to tidy their bedrooms. And, you know, he was uh, just just a guy, a guy who, who kept order, but also 
wanted to see the good people he employed, uh, you know, flourish and develop in their roles. So he's just just a remarkable guy, really. Yeah, yeah, a great leader. We'll take a short break. We'll come back. I want to talk a little bit about maybe some challenges you face putting this book together. So keep that thought. We'll be right back. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on firsthand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARS YEAH when you subscribe, and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. What began as a charitable car show has grown into the world's greatest collector car auctions, raising over $133 million for charitable organizations to date. For nearly 50 years, automotive enthusiasts from all over the world have enjoyed the Barrett-Jackson Collector Car Auctions, and I'm a huge fan. Regarded as the barometer of the collector car industry, their auctions are world-class lifestyle events, where thousands of the world's most sought-after unique and valuable automobiles cross the block in front of a global audience, in person, on TV, or streamed online. Barrett-Jackson produces the world's greatest collector car auctions in Scottsdale, Arizona, Palm Beach, Florida, Las Vegas, Nevada, and new for 2021, Houston, Texas. The excitement of Barrett-Jackson auctions is contagious, and a unique experience is not to be missed. And be sure to visit BarrettJackson.com today. Barrett-Jackson, the world's greatest collector car auctions. So let's talk about a big challenge. Now, anytime you undertake writing a book, no doubt there's some challenges that you come up against. Finding correct history, double-checking everything, making sure, because all of us car guys, we're going to check everything that you write. And we're going to let you know yes. if something's not right. You know, it's very, it's very unforgiving. Yeah, it is. It's brutal. So let's talk about that with this book in particular. Uh, was there one? Um, there are probably many challenges you faced, but was there one, maybe two that you came up against that you had to overcome? And what were they? Well, the biggest challenge overall, I think, was my resistance to doing it in the first place. And that was there have been possibly hundreds of Jaguar books over the years, you know, specific books on individual cars or various models or various eras, the racing stuff. I mean, there's a the canon of work on Jaguar is uh, daunting. And to add something to that, uh, you know, I, I, I was a, I felt a bit reluctant because I thought, what else can I bring to it? They gave me 60,000 words, which I, I know to people, you know, who are not book writers might sound like a lot, but it's actually that there's a limit there. Mm. You know, you divide that into 20 chapters, you end up with two and a half thousand words per chapter. And one of those chapters, for example, is going to be on the XKE and another one will be on the, um, you know, the, the Mark 7, the big saloons of, of the of the 50s. So you, you've got your limits, because you can't write more than 60,000 words. It's pointless. It's pointless even thinking of doing that. So I, I know that people might look at it and they might sort of go, oh, well, I, I know a lot of this already. 
but that's inevitable. What, what I what I think that my challenge was to try and knit the whole thing together so that if you if you own a Jaguar now and you're what I'd call a normal person as opposed to a petrol head, <laughs> yeah. you, as, as you said earlier, Mark, you know, you just fancy a Jaguar because life needs to be livelier than everyone else's. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's the Alfa Romeo factor, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That you would be able to sort of read the whole thing and put it down afterwards. I'll flatter myself here, obviously. Um, <laughs> put it down afterwards and say, oh, now I understand the, the genesis of it. Because I think it's a very it's a very tangled genesis if you if you look at the modern range now back to the sort of sixties and seventies and then back to the thirties and forties the the periods don't don't neatly segue so I wanted to try and explain it in a way that was you know that your Jaguar nutcase could sort of nod and go yes that's right tick yes that's right tick and my mum could also read it and sort of understand what jaguar is about mm-hmm. if that makes sense sure so so you know so so as as you can imagine every book is a is an enforced prison cell uh <laughs> sitting in the dark and not coming out till you've written x amount per day and you know you set off on a journey through your through your manuscript and you you can't tell until you till you look back at what you've done whether it's coming out how you want yeah yeah, I, I hope this makes sense. I mean, it I, does. I sound like a tortured soul, don't I? But, no, you know. no, no. It makes it makes a world of sense. I've heard this from many authors who are undertaking writing about almost any mark, and they think, "Gosh, this has already been done. Uh, how can I add to this? How can I make this more interesting?" And I believe that's really what you've accomplished here. I like to ask my guests about a special vehicle in their life, but I'm going to start this question off with this for you. If you looked at the breadth of Jaguar over its entire history, and you could have any one Jaguar in perfect condition, brand new, parked in your garage, what would it be? I just love the very first XJ6. Mm. I love that car. It is so amazing that this small band of people produced that in 1968 when, you know, when you, you think of you think of the might of a General Motors or of a Toyota or, or even a Volkswagen and the the, the people needed to do that and this tiny band of very dedicated possibly quite eccentric people produced this car that handled better than anything else in the world and when you drove it it made you feel like nothing else you know because it was both extremely sporty and responsive and um feline really mm-hmm. uh, and yet also so brilliantly cosseting you know they developed special tires for it just for that car and they had um they spent ages working on the tread pattern so so that one uh, kind of ring of tread would cancel out the noise of another and everything mm. you know all these little touches that were done to make this car special and it's not from a big corporation it's from you know small company little place in so I, I love england yeah it's, it's also beautiful absolutely beautiful you know and that's the that's the car that my old co-worker bought for his wife and he actually thought gee as if this isn't going to be painful enough i think i'll have the uh <laughs> i think i'll get one with the v12 why not you know and that's what he ended up with i think it was like a five liter 5.3 liter or something like that five it's liter. a 5.3 liter yes yeah, yeah. And, yeah and it was just insane you open that hood which opened the other way you know hinged in the front i believe if i'm my memory has me right i think it's the way it did but you look at that engine and you you just went whoa uh how are you gonna keep this in sync you know i hope you have a good mechanic but when it was running right oh my gosh it was just absolutely stunning and i love the way the front end kind of raked forward it looked like it was ready to pounce just like the jaguar logo 
and and that was a that was a mass production V12 engine. You know, yeah. there, there are V12s in Ferraris, there are V12s in uh, Lamborghinis, and so on, and they make 150 cars a year. Mm. But this is this is making them by the the tens of thousands. It was it was incredible, really yeah. incredible what they what they did. I mean, I, the timing was awful for Jaguar because just as the car came on the market, we crash into the biggest oil crisis of all time. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like and, oh. and also they're, they're they're just beginning to have terrible um, uh, uh, industrial relations with the workforce as well. You know, the workforce have been a bit disconnected from the company founder, and they're getting quite militant. Mm. And I think they had excellent reasons to be so, by the way, as well. But you know. You would expect when you bring out a super saloon like that, that that every aspect has to be perfect. You can't have the cars being delivered to um, the customer with um, with faults. And that did happen. And in fact, some of them were, de- were delivered without radiator grills because they couldn't get them out of some other factory in Coventry. So they, they just sort of sent a bit of tape. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Coming up the grill with, 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 a, with, a, with a promise note to say when we've got it, we'll send the dealer around. Yeah, we'll forward it. Uh, don't don't mind the front end. Just look away. Look away. Don't look here. <laughs> yeah, look away. You yeah. know, when I was a kid, I detailed cars and I had a client who was a college professor and I used to ride my bike down to San Diego, down the boardwalk to the end of the boardwalk and he lived at the end he was a volleyball player kind of like for you know for a young kid like me like oh is that what life is like a bachelor playing volleyball on the beach with beautiful girls and by the way he has a white uh v12 jaguar in the garage xke um and i used to ride drive that back home and it was just like, oh, man, this thing is so cool. Uh, wonderful car. His was always running perfectly. He had a mechanic that could uh, dial everything in. And uh, I just thought I was the king of the road driving that thing with the top down. Oh, it was nice. Uh, be still, my heart. Love it. Love it. Love it. I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit here, Giles. This is a bit of a psychologist time here. Uh, if you were manifest as a vehicle, not what you want to be. This is your perception of yourself, the man in the mirror, as a vehicle, what would you be? But more importantly, this is always good from a writer standpoint. Why? Uh, well, you, you fortunately gave me a, a few notes on this before before we got <laughs> yeah, together today, so I, I, I could really sit there and think about it. And um, if I was to say that it would be the Lancia Fulvia Zagata, oh. would that would that mean anything to you? Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. Big, especially <laughs> when you add that word Zagato on the back. Yeah, beautiful, uh, it, beautiful. It's a car I absolutely adore, and it's full of uh, strange features, like a lot of Zagato cars. I mean, in this case, one thing I like about it is the bonnet opens from the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Flavia Zagato, that also had a funny little electric rear screen that would open to ventilate it. And it all goes back to uh, the Hugo Z- the Zagato, who, who, whose famous quote was, look at that car over there. Is it different to all the rest? Then it's a Zagato. And he, he set out to try and do things differently Sort of for the hell of it, but also with a you know a bit of artisan craft in there, and always using you know excellent chassis and so on. So if I could be that amalgam of those elements, but trying to do things a little bit differently, I would be happy. And uh, if I was also to say uh, a car I'd like to manifest myself as today, it might be this amazing prototype that they have in Germany called the Sono. I don't mm. know if you know that. Have you come across it? Yes, I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is this, it's basically a gigantic solar panel uh, yeah. with an interior and six seats. Yeah. And um, it's crazy. it'll give, yeah. yeah, it'll give you, if you just leave it outside, 
it'll give you 17 miles of completely free uh, motoring. And then, you know, you'll have to charge its battery up to do any more. Um, but um, I just love the team who are working on it. They've crowdfunded it. It's not a great looker. So there we go, a bit like me. And um, But I really feel they're sort of, they're taking uh, a bit of a dream and trying to make it a reality in a, in a, a different way. I, th- I think people don't give them any credibility, but they're so long as their funding can last out, it looks like they're going to bring out the first solar-powered car. And for me, uh, I'm, I'm a keen recycler. I'm, I'm keen on green things. I think we do need to uh, move away from uh, some of our smoggy habits of the past. Uh, I, I just I just love that car. I think it's amazing. So there we go. Imagine those two together in a garage. <laughs> I, that'd be pretty cool. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I love that car, the sport version of that car. Uh, of course, Lancia has a wonderful history of just romanticism, I think, in my mind. Um, maybe not as reliable as everything else, but who cares? We're talking about Jaguar and old Jaguars today. The new ones, I think they're very reliable, obviously. Even Ferraris are reliable. I have a friend here in the Northwest who's driven his Ferrari 100,000 miles. Drives it every day, goes everywhere in it, snow, whatever. He's yes. he's doing what we all should be doing with our cars, and that's getting out and enjoying them versus saving them for the next guy. So I think that's a great answer. Thanks for thinking that one through. Well, I always ask my guests for about a great book. You've written 55 great books. Of course, listeners, this book, The Jaguar Century, 100 Years of Automotive Excellence. You should get this book and most definitely put it on your shelf. You're going to love it. Is there, a, if I asked you from a writer's perspective, another great book you might recommend? What would that be? It doesn't have to be a car book. Well, I, I don't always like uh, terribly kind of flashy coffee table books you know often the ones that i i use and i go back to and, and respect they're not always the kind of most deluxe publications and i've got one uh, that i absolutely adore and i don't think many people know it and it's by michael lamb who you may know and dave holes and it's called a century of automotive style a hundred years of american car design and it's an absolutely fantastic book that takes you from the, the time when cars just looked like pianos or sewing machines on wheels, <laughs> right the way through the sort of 40s and 50s, and it brings in all the, uh, the all the Harley Earls and the Raymond Lowys and all these people, and just really walks you through um, how American car design got to be. I mean, I think it came out actually in the late 90s, so it, I, I, it doesn't really cover the last 20 years. But it's a book I, I love looking at. And um, in fact, Michael Lamb and I were on a, a BBC World Service uh, a little panel show um, a couple of months ago, and so I was uh, I, at the beginning. I, I was sort of foaming. I said, "I said, Michael, I've got your book. <laughs> I'm always looking at it." Yeah, and, you know, it's just a silence. He didn't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> In case I don't know how to be dangerous. You know. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. It's a book I like very much. Have you got that one? I got that book as a gift and when they first came out way back. So I do have that book. It's on my shelf. And yeah, I just, I remember the cover. I, I haven't opened it in a long time, but I remember the cover had all these different illustrations, I think, of like old and kind of to, up to modern cars at the time, some wild stuff. So uh, yeah, most definitely. It's, it's a great read. Well, I'll put that book and of course, uh, Giles' book on his show notes page on the Cars Yeah website. I've got a great place on my website that's called Guest Record recommended books. So there's over 2,000 books listed there uh, from my past inspiring automotive enthusiasts with a quick, easy link to buy all those books. So if you want to start your car library, just go to carsyad.com, click on the resources tab. I'm going to take you on the ultimate drive today. This is kind of a fun thought here. I'm going to buy you any car in the world to drive. You can go with anybody you want, living or deceased, and you can go anywhere you want. So what does this ultimate drive look like for you, Giles? 
Yeah, well, I've I've um, I've jumped the gun a little bit by going on about the XJ6 and William Lyons, and I would love to have driven with that man from London down to uh, Turin with him in the wheel, telling me all about how he did it. I would just <laughs> love to have done that because he was quite a taciturn chap. You know, he didn't really talk an awful lot about uh, uh, about his methods, and he was quite shy. Didn't, I don't think he really enjoyed interviews. So I, I would have loved to have been able to spend some time with people who put that car together and in fact you know the the e-type as well but i don't i don't think he particularly liked driving the e-type he's quite a tall guy oh yeah and it, you know his favorite version um sorry e-type i meant x-key X but it's the same yeah. you know yes. his favorite version was actually the fastback coupe which is very very cramped and difficult to get into for someone who's six foot tall oh, so yeah. I, I think he would you know if i was really going to get the benefit of his uh, experience and some and excellent quotes he'd need to be Sitting comfortably. Oh, okay. Let's go. Let's go for the XJ12. Okay. Um, <laughs> at the wheel of the XJ12. You know, nice steady eighty on the auto route yeah. past Paris, and he'd be very patiently uh, fielding all my questions and um, giving me the stuff that I could never get because he's dead. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. There you go. Well, I don't know, Giles. You think you could keep it below eighty? I'm not sure if you could do that or not. Um. Well, I so hopefully he'd let me have a go at the wheel as well. As well, you know. Yeah. So uh, you know, I was I was really thinking of, of him in the driving seat. You know, actually, sort of the master of all he's created. If yes. you know what I mean. Yeah, I love it. Sounds like an awesome drive. Well, you've taken us on an ultimate ride today. I've had so much fun talking with you. And before I let you go, would you share maybe a parting piece of wisdom, a success quote, a mantra, something that has meaning for you that might uh, encourage and uh, entice somebody else listening today? Well, uh, what I would say is if you want to want to do the sort of thing I've done, which is not the sort of career that they recommend at school or that careers uh, advisors would tell you to do, you should follow it. Because I got uh, a, a long way by just trying to pursue the things I wanted to do. And, you know, sometimes it's a bit of a lonely path doing mm. that kind of thing. Sure. But uh, I, I think once you once you get into your stride, your your early years of uh, you know following your passion and can pay off, and that you should also learn to make time that you have on your own uh, productive and creative, and you know not waste too much of your uh, your your creative energy on diversions like social media and uh, things that just suck away all your creativity oh gosh yeah you, you know I, I mean i'm not i'm not having a go at social media it's wonderful but i i do think sometimes uh, if you want to do something that's different and is is your passion you will spend time on your own and you've got to uh enjoy that and not worry about it not start to have any self-doubts about what you want to do and apart from that you could just go and work in hr couldn't you that's yeah. the alternatives <laughs> yeah you know. so <laughs> yeah, uh, so you could. stick stick with it despite the solitude is what i would say yeah i think it's great advice for sure i always say if you want your your dinner to cook faster put it in the oven and get on social media and your dinner will burn uh yeah it's amazing how fat how much time it eats up it's, it really uh, can be a bad thing and a good thing it's like anything it's how you use it right so is there a way that people can learn more about you giles do you have a website or place for people to follow you or is it just go to the library the bookstore and get your books well, I have a website, which is www.gileschapman.com. I mean, it's just a, a short CV, uh, a very brief resume of what I do. Mm -hmm. You know, most of my work is on is on, is is on Amazon, where I have an author page, or you know, 
in local bookshops, as you say, and that that's uh, that's that's the stuff that stands for uh, my output, I think. Um, and um, y- you can read me in quite a few magazines. I, I work for a magazine here called the Automobile Octane. Sometimes, um, uh, you know, whoever will have me, really. <laughs> whoever will have me. I love it. Well, make sure you look this up uh, for you listeners today. Uh, Giles G I L E S, the spelling of his first name, and of course Chapman, that other uh, cohort in crime. Some guy named Colin, I believe, is his first name. <laughs> who uh, was known for cars. Uh, you'll find him. I'll put a link on the show notes page here, but you really got to get your hands on this book. If you love Jaguar and you want to know some history that you never knew before, this is the book for you. And again, a shout out to Steve Roth at Quarto Books. They produce and publish some fantastic automotive books. You can check them out on their website as well. Giles, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your history. You and I could sit around uh, sharing a pint. Oh, we wouldn't share a pint. We'd just have our own pints and uh, talking about cars. <laughs> we'll do that next time we're together. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Thank you very much. You've really indulged me. I've loved doing it. Ah, this is fun. You're welcome. Here at Cars Yeah, it's all about inspiration. And our charity of choice is TechForce Foundation, where it's all about making a positive difference in young people's lives. TechForce helps young adults discover their talents and passions for all things automotive, with a mission of helping students develop a career as a professional technician. TechForce awards nearly $2 million in scholarships every year for students to pursue technical education, and they support hands-on activities, events, and mentorships across the country, working to change the outdated perceptions of these careers. Autotechs are in high demand, but the supply of qualified technicians is critically short. They need your help to fuel their mission. Learn more and join me in supporting them at techforce.org. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.